This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. And a good nerve Shabbos. I'm Mashi Lipsker. This is 101.9 High FM. And this is indeed a very special Shabbos in a very special time in the Jewish calendar. It is a time of difficulty. It is a time, historically, when many tragedies befell the Jewish people. It's a time, even in recent history, when tragedies befell us. And our question will be, how do we react? How do we respond? Yes, we remember. Yes, we mourn. But we are people of creativity and faith. And we want to take this time and turn it into something positive. We want to react positively because we know that from Hashem the Creator comes only goodness. But it is for us to examine to find and to elicit, to extract the goodness in every single situation. So I'm going to begin with a story. It's a well-known story, a story that the Gemara tells us actually happened. It happened in the time of Rome, and it happened to a person whose name was Rabbi Nochem. And Rabbi Nochem was a great sage. He was wise He wasn't a man of naivete. He was a genius. His greatness was that he was the leader. He was actually the teacher of Rabbi Akiva. And the story goes that things weren't easy for the Jews, and they decided to send a gift to appease the Roman emperor. With great difficulty, they managed to squeeze together, to put together precious jewels, things of value. And they entrusted Rabbi Nochem to take a box filled with veritable treasures to the king. It wasn't an easy time for the Jews. There was great poverty and suffering, but they pulled it together. And Rabbi Nochem had to make the long trip to Rome to present the gift to the emperor. On the way, he had to stay in various inns. And the story goes that in one inn, his treasure was stolen. The innkeeper, not a very honest man, came in, opened the box, saw what was going on there, and took everything. But the box was now empty, so it wasn't heavy. So he took earth from his backyard, from his garden, and filled it up. Rabbi Nachum, unaware, continued with the box, now filled with earth, to the Roman emperor. When he got there, he was escorted in, and Rabbi Nachum said, Your Majesty, the Jews have sent you a gift. We hope it pleases Your Majesty. When the king ordered the box open... Everyone gasped. What? A box of soil? Of earth? What an insult! Of course, Rabbi Nochem was immediately seized, and the emperor said, put him to death. 
Rabbi Nochem quickly began to think, what has Hashem done here? But Rabbi Nochem was a positive man. And he said to the king, perhaps this earth is special earth that can help your majesty. For Avraham Avinu, the patriarch Abraham, would pick up earth and throw it at the enemy, and the earth would turn into arrows and spears, and the enemies were defeated. Perhaps this is the same type of earth? So while they held him in prison, the king had one area, a stronghold of the enemy that he was never able to subdue. He sent the earth to his soldiers there, and lo and behold, a miracle happened, and the soil not only turned into arrows and spears, but finally the army was able to vanquish the enemy. And when they came back and reported this to the king, the king was more than amazed. Wow, he said, the Jews do honor me. It was an amazing, amazing gift, better than treasures, better than pearls and diamonds. And he had the box filled up with gems and treasures and sent Rabbi Nochem back in great honor. And the story goes that on the way back, the innkeeper couldn't believe Rabbi Nochem was still alive. So he asked what happened. And when he was told, he said, wow, the earth in my backyard's very, very magic. He filled up huge crates and brought it to the king. But then he got his just desserts. Obviously, his earth did not work, and he was severely punished. How did Rabbi Nochem react? Rabbi Nochem, when they opened the box and they saw the earth, he said three words, Gam zu l'toiva. This, too, is for the good. When he was being seized and put into jail, he said, Gam zu l'toiva. In fact, this was the mantra of his life. This, too, is for the good. And in the end, they didn't just call him Rabbi Nochem, they called him Rabbi Nochem Ish Gamzu. Rabbi Nochem, the man who says, Gamzu, this, too, is for the good. During this time, our work is to examine every challenge to see how is this too for the good. We have in the world around us the obvious difficulties. And when a difficulty comes, the automatic response is, this is no good. This hurts. This is a loss. This is frightening. This is bad. To recognize the toiv, to recognize the good, takes wisdom, courage, determination, and then work. That is our work during this time, to turn everything into a positive, to become energized, focused, determined, to figure it out, and then act upon it. We'll be right back. After this short break, this is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. I'm Mashi Lipsker. It is Erev Tisha B'Av. It is Erev, the saddest day of the year. 
we are coming to the conclusion of the three weeks of sadness, mourning, destruction, and we are looking for the light in the darkness. We know there is a light. One of the lights is that we're getting to light our Shabbos candles tonight, and we're going to light them by 17 minutes past five, and Shabbos will be out tomorrow night at 6.09. But the fast will begin at 5.33 tomorrow afternoon, unless Mashiach comes before that. And with me on the radio today is a beacon of light. Her name is Mushki Barber. She is the Rebbe's Shlucha, emissary to Mauritius. And I'm very privileged that she is my daughter, and she's graciously agreed to come on to the show. Hi, Mushki. Such a treat to be here with you, as always, on the Seraph Shabbos. And even in a time like this, as you put it, one of the most difficult times the Jewish nation faces, it's all about the light. We have to reflect backwards in order to look forward into what the future holds for us, but also what we hold for the future. That's fascinating. So let's talk about the past for a moment. Hashem created the world in such a way that it was Yerida Tzorach Aliyah. Everything in our life is to descend in order to rise to a higher level. Hashem himself was everywhere, the ultimate unity. But he condensed himself and created something called nature behind which he hides. Why? Well, the Medrash tells us because he desired a dwelling place in this nether world. He wanted us to prepare a home for him. Only human beings have choice. And he gave us the ability to actually create spiritually, a garden in which he would stroll comfortable with us. So that is the pattern of creation. It's also the pattern of our national history. Jacob and his sons descended into Egypt. In the Parsha, we are studying about the Jewish nation who had a Garden of Eden in the desert. They were absolutely looked after, didn't have to work, and they had food and clothing. And their entire time was just devoted to spiritual pursuits. It was like the time of the Mashiach. But then they were told they had to go into the land of Israel, which was then the land of Canaan, and make that land into Eretz Israel a garden for God. Our temples were destroyed during this time. We were exiled from our land, scattered throughout throughout the world. And that, too, is for the purpose of greater ascent. There's a reason. There's a goal. There's a hidden meaning, and we have to discover it. Of course, our sages tell us that going into exile is to carry out our responsibility that we received at Sinai, which was to spread the message of God 
through our behavior throughout the world. That we become something called Oyer Lagoyim, a light unto the nations, an example, an inspiration through the light of the Holy Torah, through living a life of light, by being an example. More than what we say, it's what we do. But in addition to that, it's each one of us in our lives. We're constantly hitting walls, challenges, difficulties. Each one in our lives has to remember that every seeming descent is for a purpose of greater ascent. How do you feel about that, Mushki? When you, when you speak of the descents throughout our history, I think the descents begun even before our history. Literally, Hashem descended into this world. He had to, as you said, shrink himself to such a degree to be involved in this world. And why would he do such a thing? Many people could say, oh, Hashem doesn't need the effort of simple man. What does he need that for? He wanted us as partners. We have something meaningful to add. We have something to do. But as we kept discussing, it isn't natural or simple. Not at all. And as much as we are beings of choice... On the one hand, we don't always choose to do the right thing. And on the other hand, we can even sometimes not do the right thing mistakenly. A very interesting story I came across. There was a couple that was childless for over 10 years and were at a loss of what to do. A friend suggested they write a letter to the Lubavitcher Rebbe asking for a blessing. The Rebbe replied, If at the time of your marriage... Either of you might have hurt someone else's feelings through a broken engagement or promise. It might be necessary to obtain their forgiveness. After extensive research, the couple determined that a woman peripherally peripherally involved with arranging their match had expected compensation from the two parties. The couple had been completely unaware of this, and the woman went unrewarded. After receiving her forgiveness for the misunderstanding, the couple was blessed with four children. Wow. And to me that says, even on occasion when one is trying to do the right thing, we're only human. And we can't see all angles at all times. We can only try our best. Even more so... When we are trying to do our best, trying to fill our actions with light, love, positivity, and giving to a fellow human, how big will the reward and how big will the effect be? Well, the thing is, you, you said something so meaningful in that story because basically we do things in good faith. We're trying our best, and very often life is hectic. It's a balagan. Imagine trying to get a daughter engaged or whatever, the feelings, the emotions, the pressures. It's overwhelming. But you remember that Hashem is working with us, and what is most important to Him is love between people, sensitivity to other people, and that's not always easy. Of course, it's 
Hashem trusted us. In partnering with us, Hashem trusted us that we'd be the ones to run with this mission in this world. And what happened when it came down to it? What caused the destruction of the temple all those years ago? It was the senseless hatred between fellow human beings. And, and you know, but look at that story. Nobody meant to hurt anybody. It was an oversight. But Hashem, like with the story of Rabbi Nachum, is always behind the scenes for our benefit. But when life goes smoothly, we actually don't access our tremendous latent abilities for compassion, for creativity, for all kinds of things that could make our lives great. Of course. There's, there's two ways to go through life, as an observer or as an actor. And as an observer, very often, number one, it's a lot easier. You sail along, things hardly affect you because you're not in it enough to feel it. But at the same time, the joys, the ups and downs, the triumphs are never really yours because you haven't involved yourself. But you've protected yourself from any skinned knees to a certain degree. As an actor, you're incompletely and you have the ups and downs. There's the triumphs, but there are the tribulations. There are the ups, but there are the downs. What is the point if you look at, I have a brother who's a marathon runner, the comrades marathon. Why would someone do such a thing? Why do you push your body to an extreme? What's the idea of going to university to study for years and years and involving yourself so completely? Because we as human beings have far more potential than we even realize we do. We are able to develop ourselves, to develop our talents, and to uncover parts of ourselves we didn't even know existed. And by doing that, we are fulfilling what Hashem wanted in this world to further his world with Torah, to further, further his world with goodness, with kindness. As you said, what does Hashem want the most? Love between each other. A parent. What makes a parent happiest? To see their children getting along. Last night I was so blessed. I walked into the kitchen at your house, Ma, and I have a six-and-a-half-year-old and a, a five-year-old, two little girls, thank God, and as well as our little boy, the prince. But the girls, as most parents would know, being so close in age and of the same gender, most of the time are best friends, but could also be at each other like nobody's business. And I walked into the kitchen, and they were sitting side by side. They had Aleph Bey's, the Hebrew alphabet, homework out. No one had asked them to. And the older was pointing to the letters as the younger was saying the letters. And here and there, the older was giving little hints and little help along. And that, to me, filled me up completely because that's what we are trying to impart love of a fellow, going beyond yourself. It's more than just, oh, when I see my mother looking, I'll act nice because maybe she'll get me that toy that I wanted. Or, oh, I have to be nice because the teacher's in the classroom. Yeah. 
It's about opening up oneself, reaching out to another. And it's not about a reward. It's not about a congratulation. It's about knowing that we are all Hashem's children. We are all equal in the eyes of Hashem. And this is what it's about. Well, it brings us back to what we said before. They could only learn that by example. And they only learn it by having a sense of self. In other words, they've been treated with respect and therefore they can respect others and so on. That's a beautiful story indeed. We need to understand, though, as you told us in the story, for this couple yearning for children for 10 years, so painful. And where does one look? You go to a fertility expert. You you study the laws of family purity of Taharata Mishpacha again. You figure that it's in the realm of something that's within your control. They were privileged to go to the Rebbe and get guidance. But that also opens us up to an entirely other subject, and that is that the way we deal in this world does have an effect. And when we have any situation, we have to be so careful and so cognizant of the fact that there are others around us who are being affected, even if we don't realize that they're being affected. And that's one incredible area that during this time can make a huge difference. We usually do it around Yom Kippur. We think of someone I might have hurt and ask for their forgiveness. But in truth, this time that we are in now is actually the launch to Rosh Hashanah and then Yom Kippur. From the beginning of the three weeks, ten weeks to Rosh Hashanah. From the end of the three weeks, we have seven weeks. The three weeks are called three weeks of mourning. And we read three haftarot. We read three um, portions from the prophets talking about the destruction. And then they are followed by seven weeks of consolation where seven portions from the prophets are read about the promise of the future, about the presence of Hashem, about his partnering with us, and that nothing will ever chase him away. It just might make him seem not there, but he's hiding, and he wants us to search for him. You know what? It's, it's amazing when we look at it in that way. No time in, in history or no time in the year is isolated on its own. Everything has what came before it. Everything has what comes after it. And one can look at this difficult time and fall into a depression. So many dreadful things have happened to the Jewish nation from the beginning of history during this time. The First World War began at this time. At this time, there were so many things. The 12 spies came back after checking out the land of Israel And they decided that trying to go in there would be too dangerous. But that showed a lack of trust. Right. And they were doomed to wander in the wilderness for a full 40 years and to die out in the wilderness. But we know that during these three weeks, the walls of Jerusalem were breached. And the 
Babylonians and then the Romans destroyed both temples. And it all happened during this time. Do you know that in the time of the Romans and the second temple, which was destroyed by Titus, by Titus, two and a half million Jews were killed. Another million Jews were exiled from the land of Israel. Mind-boggling. And it goes on and on. The revolt against the Romans led by Bar Kokhba was crushed mercilessly at Betar at this time. And then in more recent history, the Crusades launched a terrible, terrible crusade in 1096. Half of the Jews of Europe and all the Jews of Jerusalem were murdered. Wow. You know, do we know that the Jews were expelled from England in 1290? That was during this time. And in 1492, the Jews of Spain were given that ultimatum by the Inquisition, leave, convert, or die. Yeah. And so it went, as you said, 1914, on the 1st of August, on Tisha B'Av, what happened? The First World War broke out, but it was a prelude to the Holocaust. Of course. In fact, it's pointed out that the deportations to Treblinka were ordered from the Warsaw Ghetto during this time between the 17th of Tammuz and the 9th of Av. I think all of this just brings to light how down one could get at this time. But as we were discussing earlier and looking forward to sharing after the break, there is not just a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a huge sunrise and much joy to be found in this time. We'll be right back after this short break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. I'm Mushy Lipsker. With me is Mushki Barber. And we're speaking about the period that we find ourselves in, which is a period of tragedy. But we're focusing on an amazing idea that every descent, every concealment is for the purpose of a higher ascent, is for the purpose of accessing potential that we don't even realize we have. I love the word you used there, a higher purpose. Tisha B'Av is the last official date in the calendar that has a monumental standing before the high holidays. We are going from the lowest time, and we have these seven weeks now, till the highest time. And, you know, when a runner readies themselves, they don't start off in the running position. They don't start off one foot forward and the arms. You start on your marks, go down, get set, start lifting yourself up, and then go. Wow. One needs to take a step back sometimes in order to see a bigger picture. It's a hard thing to have to rebuke a child. It's a hard thing to have to take rebuke as a child or as a person. Sometimes, though, we can get a little carried away in what's going on. Why aren't things working out so well for me? That couple, 
Everything seems to be going all right. Why haven't we been blessed? Nothing that we can see. Sometimes we need to turn on the inside light, look at ourselves and say, how can I better myself? How can I get on my marks? How can I get, get set and then be able to go? Just starting running without being prepared isn't going to get one very far. You need to train. You need to work at it. You need to make sure you're able to move forward. It's an amazing concept because we find that in our lives, we do want to be comfortable. We think that that is the ultimate. And Hashem's constantly asking us to be uncomfortable. Last week you spoke about when you're finally in pre-grade, they put you down into grade one. (laughs) You're finally in grade six, they put you at the lowest rung in high school, and so it is. You see, we tend to idealize the superficial. We think youth is the ultimate. We think beauty is the ultimate. We think that peace of mind is the ultimate. And Hashem says, you know what? Behind nature is me. Behind every change is me. So think of a young couple. They have their careers They have everything peaceful and quiet. They decide to get married. Now they've got each other. That's already a huge discomfort, as it were. Accommodation. But it brings out greatness. Then they decide to have a child. The child, pregnancy, it's uncomfortable. But wow, it's an amazing thing. A gift of a lifetime, but you have to descend in order to ascend. And then to raise that child, it's wonderful to get a baby, but how are we going to raise him into a mensch? It requires us to be a mensch and the example. There was actually uh, someone who was deeply invested in the idea of tikkun olam, of bettering the world around them. And this aspiring activist came to the Lubavitcher Rebbe and asked, How can I accomplish this? Should I focus on making myself better? Or should I concentrate solely on changing the world? The Rebbe responded, You cannot fix the world unless you begin with yourself first. Start with yourself, then your family, then your community, then your country. From there, the world, one step at a time. Yeah, that's amazing. The truth is that we don't always have the time to give uh, 25, 30 years to ourselves, etc. Life moves on. But we do need to keep in mind that working with others will also refine ourselves. So true. As, as you mentioned to me off air, your spouse is your sandpaper. It's an amazing, amazing concept. We're looking for comfort, but that is not the intention in order to actualize our potential. The world needs to be refined. We need to be refined. Our relationships need to be refined. But everything starts with us. And very often it's confusing because we naturally don't see the solutions. Rabbi Nochem saw that there's potential in that seeming... um, 
indignation of giving the king a box of, of earth. But we have to dig deeper. It's not always so apparent. I know that you and your husband went off to Mauritius. Yeah. So the idea is a great idea. We're going to, you know, we're a young married couple. We're enthusiastic about changing the world. What insight can you give us about the experience? I mean, how many years have you been there already? So thank God we've been there five plus years. (laughs) And I think first and foremost, each and every person has their set of actions that they're set out to do. One's might be in Mauritius. Another might be in Siberia. And and a third might be in Glen Hazel. So God's sending you to where your work is. Obviously, that's where we're meant to be now. But even more than that, wherever one finds themselves, there's so much to do, as we said, within and without. And those go hand in hand. Because a person who's just looking, I'm going to change the world. It can happen like that. A person needs to know it's all about one action at a time. Nothing's going to happen overnight. And of course, Rome wasn't built in a day. But you've just touched on something important. The saying is, if you want to change the world, start with changing yourself. And the amazing thing is that if we can shift, everything around us shifts also. But when you go out and you want to be a light unto the nations or a light unto others, really it's example that makes the biggest impression. Of course. It's as we said, are you going to be an actor or are you going to be an observer? Are you going to say, you know, I might fall. I might not always succeed in everything I try, but I'm putting myself out there and I'm going for it. That's the thing. You know, you put yourself in the limelight. But the most important thing is not so much if you have people skills or life experience. It's really about walking the talk. In fact, so many people have told us that the thing that drew them to Yiddishkeit the most, we've been in this country many years, is our family, our children, the way we ran our family. People yearn for something meaningful in life, and an example is the greatest thing we can do. The way we dress, the way we speak, the way we conduct our lives, the way we react in crisis is the biggest teacher to our children and also to those around us. But there are things that come Unexpectedly. Of course. You know, you plan it, you plan it. We never planned on this. A mensch tracht und Gott lacht. But he doesn't lach at you. He's actually smiling and saying, I got something even bigger that you're not even imagining. So it reminds me of that story. And um, it's a story of a young couple who were planning the ideal honeymoon. Oh. And that honeymoon... They found the perfect isolated cottage in a forest. They could be alone. They loved nature. It would be incredible. The birds would chirp in the morning and they would just be with one another and discover the, the nature around them. Sounds like perfection. Perfection is what somehow we naturally seek. 
and that seems to elude us. So what happens is the first morning after they get there, they're rudely awakened at 6 a.m. by the tapping of woodpeckers. Now, I don't know if in this country they know what woodpeckers are. It's a bird. I think, I'm not, I haven't looked, but it could be some sort of, um, I don't know if it's like a raven or whatever, but it's, it's a nasty little bird that pecks at the wood and makes a big, big noise. And as much as they try to cover their ears and go back to sleep, the day had started off in a disappointing way. They had an intruder. And early the next morning, it happened again. And they were faced with a choice. They could either look at their vacation as a failure. Because, you know, the way you get woken up rudely in the morning stays with you. But they were positive people. And they began to examine, why did Hashem do this, perhaps, they thought, or what positive thing can I access from this? And apparently, when they left their honeymoon, they had figured it out. He was an artist, she an actress, and they created the cartoon Woody Woodpecker, which we have (laughs) to this day. And she was the voiceover in the cartoons. He was the illustrator. They turned a potential failure and and distress and disappointment into something positive. But you have to dig deep. And I don't think it was just them turning it into, but they saw that the perfect package was just perfection of how it looked in their minds and their mind's eye. So often we are given perfection in a way that we don't see it and us as human beings have to work on ourselves in order to refine the way we see things to realize wow look at this gift look what we have here that we would have never thought of on our own so it's a mindset it's It's a a mindset it's an attitude and amazingly man is called adam right and Adam, he's called Adam not just because he's made from Adama, Adam, because he's made from earth, but also the word Adameh, which means I'm going to emulate. Adameh le'elyon, we're the only creature who has choice. And we can choose to emulate the creator who created a world, made himself uncomfortable perhaps, but the goal to create a palace, a garden together with us, so he did something for us, which was Ahavat Chinam. Right. He gave us unconditional love. And before you asked, you know, us going out to Mauritius, what's it about? You know, what's, what's over there? We look at the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And we've, we've spoken of a few stories of the Rebbe over here. And the Rebbe was a giant of this time. Not just a giant of a personality, but a giant in Torah. The Rebbe could have sat in his study with his pupils and learned all day. What did the Rebbe choose to do? To reach out. Many people, when the campaign of tefillin started, many people were very upset with the Chabadniks, saying, look at this person. You don't know where he was half an hour ago. 
he could have been eating something completely trafe, doing something completely unkosher. And now you're rapping to fill in on him? How could you? At the end of the day, it's the action that happens at that very moment. When we are in a mitzvah, it's about the mitzvah that we're doing. The Rebbe said, I want to send emissaries out to every corner of the globe because it's about one's fellow. It's not about secluding oneself and just focusing on oneself. We work on ourselves in order to help those around us. And we work on ourselves in order to better the world around us. Because when a person knows that it's all bigger than themselves, that is what Hashem was pointing to. Ahavat chinam, the love and the looking at one's fellow and more than looking at actually seeing another person that is sitting across from you. Amazing. And to remember that every person is not just physical, so he needs what to eat, and that's vital. Of course. He's not just emotional. We need to be gentle. He's not just mental. People need stimulation. He's ultimately spiritual. Yeah. And to share a mitzvah is the biggest gift you can do. But do it kindly. Do it gently. And who grows the most? We do. <laughs> who stretches? Who grows? And please, God, from these days of darkness, may we merit the ultimate light. May these days of darkness be transformed. May these days of pain and suffering be transformed into days of great joy and rejoicing. Ultimately, Tisha B'Av will become the biggest yontif. Amen. A guten Shabbos and a guten Tomid.